0: Talk Radio. Hi, welcome to Teach Me To Talk with Laura and Kate. I'm Laura Mize, Pediatric Speech-Language Pathologist. Hi, Laura. This is Kate. I'm a developmental interventionist. How are you today? This fine, rainy Monday. It is a rainy Monday, but I am great nonetheless. How about you?
1: I'm doing well, thanks. Tell good. us about you your big last week. I'm wet. Yes. Yeah, you have, have on a raincoat. I had on a raincoat, so that was good.
0: That is good. Johnny bought me a new raincoat because I tried to wear one a couple of weeks ago that apparently it wasn't up to his standards, so I've gotten a brand new raincoat and that has been kinda of fun on my errands today. But I've been mostly in and not in and out of homes like you today, so
1: this is going to surprise you, but I have quite a collection of raincoats.
0: This does not <laughs> surprise me at all. You it's know the I most have... important coat
1: it, there is in this line of work.
0: <laughs> it Let's really is, it. isn't it? And well, I you can't if you're carrying
1: toys. You can't carry an umbrella. So you got to have That's a funny. and it has to have a hood. Why do they make raincoats without hoods? I just think they're I, silly.
0: I think that is really silly. Every time I see a raincoat without a hood, I think, Who came up with this? Because <laughs> A man must have your hair covered at all times in the rain, or my hair in yeah. the rain. <laughs> a long hood is the best, something
1: that comes down over your bangs. My bangs were getting wet, but oh, well.
0: well so tell Johnny, us about the last week. Oh, it was so much fun, so much fun, so much fun. We had a great two days in Atlanta, had a really full room, fun crowd. I got to meet. Lots of long-time podcast listeners, and that's fun. It's kind of cool to be, you know, somebody yell your name when you're getting out of the car in the parking lot. That kind of makes you feel like, oh, that was fun. (laughs) So that was cool. Uh, And I got to, again, meet several people who said, I listen to the show, or I listen between kids, or I listen, you know, while I'm at the gym. It gives me something to do while I'm exercising. So I always think that's funny. When someone tells us that, and it's just so uh, with several people um, there that came to Atlanta. Well, actually, we had people from seven different states. Can you believe that? Isn't that amazing? That's awesome. And the person that traveled the longest distance was from New York, but her family lived in Atlanta, and she had already planned to be there that weekend anyway, so she said it just oh, worked perfect. out beautifully. Yeah, it was perfect mm-hmm. for her. And several people that I just mentioned. You know how I'm I'm pretty uh, freaky about remembering names. You know, <laughs> if I see a name well, over compared and compared to and me, over. any
1: if anybody who remembers the name is freaky <laughs> to me. But you, yes, you are the opposite extreme. Scary memory.
0: <laughs> I try kind to of tell people sometimes what's my little spectrum quirk. There, you know, if I have one, that's it because I can remember <laughs> names, and so I do, especially in the last year or so have helped with shipping a lot and pretty much do that almost every day. And so I remember people's names, especially if they order one product at a time. And there were several people there that had either emailed me so much or bought several products that I really recognized their names. And so that was kind of fun to put a name with a face. Uh-huh. And talk to them about it. And if I didn't think it would embarrass them to death, I would say their names on the show, but I'm not going to. But uh, that was, it was just fine. It was really fun. And then, you know, day two, building verbal imitation in toddlers, it was my first time to teach that conference or teach it as a whole session rather than just a part of day one. And so that went well. Used all new video from the kids that we saw this summer. You know, some of us, some kids that we saw together,
1: and oh. the that
0: I saw by myself, yeah. I was thinking when I was showing some of that video, I was thinking, I don't know if I told Kate she was going to be in the in the video.
1: Nope, <laughs> failed to mention it.
0: <laughs> I think there's just a couple of clips, where it's just you. But mostly, it's if I'm showing it, it's. I'll you bet it you choose those the clips
1: the same way you choose pictures—the ones you look good in. i probably have my <laughs>
0: mouth open and my hair over my face. <laughs> You're so funny. No, actually, remember that <coughs> I showed that clip of when you got um, our little friend Elijah to, to uh, sign more in the blanket oh, and he was Oh, I would like to see that. That was so sweet.
1: That was one okay, of
0: those wonderful moments. You'll, yeah, you'll cry when you see it. It's just really, really good. And then there's one other one where I'm talking to, I think it's the same, it's the same child and I'm talking to the mom and then you're getting him to do um more with Cookie Monster. Remember how cute that was? Mhm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so those two little clips. I think those are the only two, but that was fun, and it was just great to see. I always like new stuff. I love old stuff, and you know, then to kind of revisit all the day one, and I've changed a lot of that, and so that kind of felt like a new conference too, but it was great. It was a lot of a lot, a lot, a lot of fun. So thank you so much for asking about that. Because of that, I want to mention that we do have a few spots left for Columbus. I'll be there next Thursday and Friday, October 11th and 12th. And mostly spots on day two because there are a couple of larger groups that are coming on day one, and they already had their quarterly in-services scheduled for uh, with the agencies that they work for oh, for the day that I'm going to be there. So they can only come to day one. So there are more spots on day two, so I wanted to mention that. In Chicago, there's just a handful of spots. I mean, Johnny and I have debated all day long about, should we go ahead and call Chicago Sold Out? Should we let a few more people come? So I think we're opting to hold it open for another day or two and um, then close it out. So if you want to come to Chicago, please register in the next day or two because it really will be full. And again, I've said before, I hate it when people... Call me on that day, or come, and then you know I would have to turn them away. Since those hotel people are pretty darn picky about those room limits. When Chicago, Lauren? Chicago is October 25th and 26th, the so last Thursday and Friday in in uh, October. So, so Halloween, Be a good time to
1: go to Halloween parties in in <laughs> Chicago.
0: <laughs> yeah, how would you go to a party though if you didn't know people there? If you were traveling? Well, you wouldn't go
1: to a party. You'd Go to a bar.
0: Oh, okay. Halloween
1: parties,
0: then. Yeah. Well, that just shows you how social I am. I went <laughs> to thought parties.
1: That I'd be doing Christmas shopping.
0: <laughs> mm, end of October. That sounds good. So. Yeah, it does. Yeah, I think it's great timing. I love October. It's my very favorite month of the year. It's so beautiful. I love fall. Mm-hmm. So anyway, that's that about the conferences. Let me move on to another couple of announcements. Uh there's this great online magazine for speech language pathologists called Easy Speak Magazine and a speech pathologist from Barbados named Sharika is the executive editor of that. I'm not sure what exactly her title is, but she's the editor, the founder, the launcher, the the person and she asked me, this is their second issue, it comes out quarterly. And so she had asked me, did I want to write a blurb about building verbal imitation in Tibers? Well, I wrote more than a blurb. It's a longer article about that book, so I'm so excited that's in there and she also featured the podcast and included it as a list in her list of great resources for speech pathologists. So I thought that was super. I was excited about that,
1: yeah, cool.
0: And so you can take a look at that. It also. Do you remember when I talked about this before? When I mentioned when the first edition was out, About there was there were pages about you know fashion advice or maybe you know what speech pathologists wear to work, you know, kind of around the country or whatever. She did that in the first one. And this issue is about um, male speech pathologists, and so kind of their fashion sense. So that's kind of cute. <laughs> Get a kick out of that. I'd be hard pressed <laughs> to
1: say I've run across so few. All the I years know. of doing early intervention, only a couple guys ever. They never seem to stay around too long.
0: The early in early intervention, I really think that it's more um, men may be more inclined to do adult rehab, but that's yeah, that's not always the case. We had a very fine male speech pathologist uh, that worked that came for um, the conference in Atlanta. He works for org. And so a lot of the Hannah and stuff, and I always recommend that. You know, More Than Words, It Takes Two to Talk, all of their books. So here's there. So a lot of conferences will have one or maybe two, but it is Mm -hmm. early intervention is really dominated by women.
1: Yeah, it is.
0: It is. All right, that's announcement number two. announcement number three, I have received in the last few weeks several emails that would say how to listen to an old show or you mentioned an older podcast and how do I find that the easiest way to look up previous podcast is on iTunes and so you can go to iTunes and you can go to the iTunes store and you type in Teach Me to Talk with Laura and Kate and it comes up. And it doesn't really come up in any order. I wish that it came up in just you know, sequential order, but it doesn't. It's kind of a mess when I was looking at that today and there's nothing I can do about that. So please don't email me the suggestions. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but you can find It'll come up, and, like, the first 10 will come up, and then it will say, and, again, they're in random order, and it will say, like, one of your options in the menu bar there beside the show name is See All. So you would just click See All, and you could scan down and find shows that you haven't heard, or if you're looking for a specific show, you could sift through there. The other way to do that would be to search on blogtalkradio.com and you search, teach me to talk with Laura and Kate. And then that list was more sequential. But I'll just tell you, sometimes we plan to talk about a topic and the show title is one thing, but then it's
1: <laughs> more. <laughs> well, time. if we get a call, that's one thing. If,
0: yeah. Which we haven't had in and a while. We need a call. Well, Anybody thinking listening, that, thinking they're going to
1: call in, they need to call
0: right now. Well, guess what? We have a caller. Oh, oh good. <laughs> Hi, caller, are you there? Hello? Hello, are you there? Okay, I guess she just wants to listen. You know, sometimes people will do that. They won't be able to get it, and they'll call to do that. Aww, well, give, so call in that.
1: Marum give the call-in I mean, alarm number. Give the call number.
0: Okay, it is 718-766-4332. And call from a phone that's um, that lets you do long distance for free. Several of our early yeah. callers because it's in New York. Out. Yeah, yeah. So seven one eight seven six six four three three two. Kate and I are not in New York, but the number apparently is the number. Right, so yeah, want, yeah. Okay, I wanted to give out that information on how to access old shows. Then that leads me to something I said last week on the show. I said that we did a podcast called Making Books Better, and that and somebody emailed me and said I could not find that podcast. Well, boy, did I get things confused. Making Books Better is the name of one of the Pinterest boards that I have for <laughs> com, but I was thinking... Of the podcast that we did at show number 158, and it was the pros and cons of using flashcards. So, um, and we talked about books a little bit on that show. And then the other um, thing I was really thinking about was therapy tip of the week when I did um how to improve your use of books. Or I might have even called that one making books better. But that's what I was really thinking about and I just mixed up two or three different little projects there when I spoke about that. <laughs> but that was Therapy Tip of the Week from June twenty ninth, twenty twelve. So six twenty nine twelve. And the best way to find previous therapy tips of the week would be to go to our YouTube channel, which is you can search teachmetotalk.com on YouTube and then all of our Therapy Tip of the Week videos will come up and you can scroll down to six twenty nine twelve. If you're not a big YouTube person, you can still access Therapy Tip of the Week from my website at com. So I wanted to listen to that. Okay, our caller is back. Maybe she couldn't hear me from before. Let's see. Hi.
1: Hi, I'm listening in at work. Oh okay. Oh. <laughs>
0: Okay, that, that means you didn't want to, to call us. in. Okay. 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 Well, now I know that that's what people that was learning. That's a cute <laughs> little trick, isn't it?
1: That's <laughs> the one we haven't heard yet. <laughs> I'm calling hard. from work. Don't I don't <laughs> want to talk. <laughs> at least she's not in with the kid. You know. They say, tell me
0: more. Hi. <laughs> I'm so tired. I'm still so tired today. That is hysterically funny to me. I'll just have to recover from that. Okay. Yeah, that's a new one. That's a new one. I guess um, that would be a good way to do it. People have told me too that their bosses. Several, several young speech pathologists have said that my boss keeps you on in the background. So when we're in the office, if we're just piddling around, at least it's. Uh, teaching time, too. And I think, gosh, what a great idea, but, boy, I bet they hate to hear us coming on because they may feel a little (laughs) bit forced to listen. Oh, that's funny. (laughs) (laughs) Girls tell jokes about our
1: one caller. Do you remember our one male caller, the the guy who said it's all good or something like that?
0: I don't remember that. I sort of remember. You will have to refresh my memory. We have got to get going here, but you'll have okay. to this, remind me about is that. It was
1: hilarious. He still does it. He still pretends to be that guy. <laughs> and he does, does your Bill voice. Still to listen he says, to the show? No, but he was listen listening. Anymore, he? he was listening that time, and he he does your voice. He says, "Hello, do we have a call? He does a real son. <laughs> It's hilarious. Okay, okay. What's our subject? We're finishing up this series, aren't
0: we? You know what? Now, here's the thing. When I said that to you earlier in the car, do you Mm -hmm. remember why we started this series? It's so that we could get to those questions that moms have about questions. And they'll say, when is my child ever going to be able to answer my questions? So we did this series, now we're on part five of how to expand a toddler's vocabulary or late-talking toddler's vocabulary, and today we're going to be talking about teaching pronouns and descriptive words, and so I was saying, Kate and I were talking earlier today, and she said, uh, tell me what we're talking about again today, and I said that, and <laughs> I said, I think we're finishing up, and we were, yeah. and we were both like, hallelujah, we're finishing up the series, and then I got back to the office and remembered... The reason we did this kind of background is so we could talk about some of those, that higher level stuff that we never quite get to. And we have quite a few parents who have listened to us now for a long time, and their kids are beyond the initial, excuse me, early vocabulary phase. But I went, when they were asking me these questions, you brought about several questions in a row about, my child still is not conversational, and still won't answer questions. And right. my rationale it's for doing I this whole can thing see like.
1: why you would get that yeah. question a
0: lot. I, <laughs> it is yeah. a big
1: step up. Step up. Uh
0: huh. It's huge, and so we did this five-part series to cover the basis because a lot of times children will not answer your question because a they don't really understand the question. There's a processing issue. There's a comprehension clip part of that. And then B, they don't have the expressive vocabulary to answer the question. So if you say to your child something like, what did you do today when you were on the playground? And they don't have words like swing, play in sand, uh, run, climb, you know, if they don't have the basic vocabulary, even if they're not having a mental picture of what they did, they still can't answer the question. So we are not going to be finished with this series for a while because we're going to go ahead and take the – after today, we're going to take the next few weeks and talk about those higher level things like answering questions, other goals like understanding object functions, putting objects in, or kind of uh, words or toys, whatever, in categories. Uh, we talked about working on size or, you know, learning size. So we're going to talk about how to teach size differences versus little. All of those pickier goals that children have to understand before they're really able to be conversational. And we never quite get there. We spend a lot of time talking about the earliest stuff and how to keep language going. And we've done some shows about those higher-level things. But if we're looking at the ratio of... Early stuff versus, you know, later developing. And for us, later developing is, you know, two and a half to three. <laughs> those kinds of skills, we, we don't talk about those nearly as often as we talk about the earlier stuff. So that's what we'll be talking about over the course of the next several weeks. And, Kate, I will be sending you cheat sheets because I can tell right now that you're going, oh, gosh, why are <laughs> going
1: to talk about
0: that? No, I really think. Yeah, I don't. I do
1: some of that stuff um, more with, you know, my apraxic kids,
0: really. Right.
1: Um, right, Working on those kinds of words, but, you know, other kids, no, because cognitively they are really not ready to go there. They're
0: not there yet. Yeah. And you're mm-hmm. working at where they're going to be successful and what they're ready for developmentally, so you may right. not get there. And that's right. fine, but I think we have a lot of parents who again are long-time listeners?
1: <laughs> yeah, their toddlers aren't toddlers anymore.
0: Yeah. <laughs> What's our next step, Laura? He still won't talk to me in conversation. And so, again, the reason that we've done these first five shows is to cover the bases. Because if your child doesn't understand verbs, he's not going to be able to use that. And you know, doesn't use a verb or an action word like we talked about a couple of weeks ago as a single word, he surely can't use it to answer a question. And we talked about last week prepositions. You can't really answer or understand a where question unless you understand and use prepositions or location words like we talked about last week. So, again, this was just to kind of get us going and establish the basics. And now we'll move on and talk about the higher-level stuff. And I don't have an order for that or a sequence for that or anything We'll probably go ahead next week and talk about processing for questions and teaching and teaching a child to understand and answer those basic questions and that's going to be what's that where's whatever um, and we'll just get into those really early three kinds of uh question types in next week and then i'll I'll put a list out probably on Facebook page or on the website as to what that order is going sort of the order that we'll tackle those things in so people can plan when they're really going to listen. And then that'll give uh, us time to kind of do the background planning for that. But I think that'll be exciting and it'll be stuff that we've never done before. And I think a lot well, it'll of it'll be good for it, me
1: because like I said, I don't get to that stuff nearly like I do the other stuff. And so it'll be good. Well, uh, just and I, furthering that's my I was, master's degree from the Laura Mai School of <laughs> Speech-Language Pathology.
0: <laughs> and I wish I could give those out. I really do. You know, I what I about, <laughs> but what I was about to say is I think a lot of therapists feel like that, too. So get a kid mm-hmm. talking and get him to that earliest kind of level. And he might, you know, even be doing some phrases. But beyond working on that, it gets a little shaky after that with, you know, exactly what should my goals be, exactly what should I be looking for. And, again, I think a lot of therapists who have been preschool speech pathologists in the school system may be even a little bit better with that stuff than they are with getting a child going. And so it really just depends on, yeah, what your point of reference has been, what your population has been that you've worked with. So I think this will be exciting over the next several weeks to talk about things we've probably never talked about before. And if anybody's listening and you think, well, I want to wait several weeks, you can always order Teach Me to Talk the therapy manual because it covers these milestones from below the 12-month level through the 48-month developmental level and gives you some ideas for how to target every single milestone. And so all of the ideas that we've talked about on the past few shows about expanding vocabulary have come straight from Teach Me to Talk, the Therapy Manual, and we're certainly going to be talking about that today. Good to As know that. Yes. I I'm seeing you know, one older child,
1: private pay, and he, he's work, You know, this is kind of where he is, mm-hmm. and I, it's, it's kind of foreign to me, so I'm going to learn it by listening to you and looking at the Therapy Manual.
0: And you have that book in your collection, mm-hmm. I believe. Mm-hmm. Oh, of course. yes. yes. <laughs> I was going to be embarrassed if you didn't. I was going to say, next time you're out here, you need to pick that up. Walk on up the No, no, I have all of
1: them. And I do, <laughs> I love reading them. You know, they're all good. But good to know that's specifically in there because I can really it's use that.
0: It's in there. It's re- it's in there. And, you know, what I do now, and you know, because I... <sighs> have these tools here is I really copy what I think we're working on in the therapy session or what I plan to work on with the mom. And if it works out that it just kind of comes up and I, I haven't copied it, I run upstairs and will copy that for moms and dads and then hand it to them so that they have the reference there. And I think that is a great way to use those books as a homework um, resource so that parents, you're doing it with them, and then they can take home the written information and review it, read it, remember it. They'll hopefully stick it up on the fridge, and as they, you know, are getting something out of the refrigerator, they'll remember, oh, we worked on this. Well, I should go say this to my child, so that they can review it. And a lot of parents almost need the visual reminder, and they mm-hmm. almost understand it better when they're able to see it, and then go home and read it and think about it. So that's another way to kind of use that book. All right, but let's talk about pronouns. The early pronouns that we want a child to understand and use by two and a half are the me, mine, my variations. And I'll just tell you, a lot of children will get my, they'll say my when they mean mine, and sometimes that's because they're not including that final consonant on mine, so it just sounds like my. And a lot of times I really don't even hear me until a little later in a child's development. But usually the very first pronoun that they'll get is my or mine. And it is a developmentally appropriate pronoun. A lot of parents will say, I don't want my kid to say that word. Please don't teach her that word. I remember one mom and I had long discussions about learning mine. And she said she's going to sound like a brat if she learns to say that word. I never want her to tell me that something is hers versus Mine. And so we had to talk about that and how that and this is a little girl who spent some of her time in daycare. And I said, There is no more functional word in daycare than mine. Do you think? <laughs> <laughs> they certainly use it a lot. You <laughs> know, in learning how to defend your My, possessions when there's with the word way. Yeah. Yeah. But don't you think it's better with the word, even if it's kind of a sassy word when they say it, it's so much better than when they try to you know claw something away from their little friend or um you know they'll they'll get really physical or really aggressive and so i think even for a child snatching and saying mine is much better than um the alternative you know which could be and haven't we seen so many frustrated toddlers who need that word because they're right. not able to um, defend anything or even take up for themselves, even with brothers and well, sisters. Well, yeah, a
1: lot of the times they just fall fall to pieces and cry.
0: And I'd right. rather have a
1: kid popping out mine and, you know, snatching it back than melting down
0: and crying. Me too. Having a total meltdown, yeah. Or biting, you know, biting mm-hmm. their friend or, you know, hitting or any kind of aggressive thing that they could do. And so even if they sound a little bossy or a little demanding, that's okay. And our big purpose is to teach them that words have power and that they don't need to do all that other stuff if they're able to use a word to convey to other people what they mean. And so I think mine, when you put it in that kind of context with a parent, and even even being the baby at home and having – you know, brothers and sisters who are slightly older than you, you know, that's a really precarious position for a late-talking toddler because a lot of times they um, aren't able to stand up for themselves or fight back, really, because that kid might even be older. And so I think using a, a pronoun like this is a great way for them to be able to express, you know, hey, I'm not little anymore. I get to say what I want and it
1: comes true. Well, and let's say that mine is really easy to say. You know what I mean? Kids can get that word usually. So mm, not only is it really powerful, it's pretty easy to get it and it's a great easy sign you're just popping your chest. Mine, you know.
0: Right, right. They get
1: it. You know,
0: they totally get it and a lot of times the child, because of whatever issue they have talking those words that they speak with heightened emotion. So they may pop that out a little bit sooner and a little easier than a word that's just a label or just a description. And mine for a toddler is pretty, you know, loaded with emotion. And so it does make it a little more likely, especially in the beginning and especially for child having motor planning issues, that he'll be able to sign it and then have that word pop out fairly automatically after we get that going. And I teach mine just by being funny and fun and letting it be a joke with, um, when we're playing with something, I will just hold it to my chest and kind of Put a shoulder out toward the kid, but still smile and still look like this is clearly a joke. I am teasing you and say mine. And I'll, I'll, more times than not, if a kid is really ready to talk and if they're emotionally mature enough to understand she's a joke, this is a joke, and understand. Possession to start with they'll they'll pop that word right back at you, so it's it's a good one to do it, but again, I want to make sure that when we're teaching it we're doing it in a way that's not eliciting more uh brattiness. I can't think of another word to say <laughs> that it needs to be you know you can do it in a way that's fun and that's so that a child doesn't get really upset and that and doesn't begin to overuse it now a lot of kids that seems to be the only word that they use when, we, when they first start talking. But that's even okay, too. But you've got to just really kind of balance how you're teaching that in a the therapy session so that, you know, it doesn't become their only word. But I, I do like to teach it. I really like to teach my, in the context of, but a child gets ready to do two-word phrases, and again, this is beyond the point that we're talking about now, but I don't think there's a better way to cue a two-word phrase than saying my plus an object that they really, really want. I mean, that's a winner almost every single time when a child is ready for phrases. Do you use that trick? You know, I don't very much. <clears throat> I have
1: it's to remember that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's the best. It really is. I've got some video in the conference. Um where I had, I wish that I could have shown the 20 minutes before the video clip where I'm trying every two-word combination possible because this was a little girl that did more very easily and also said please very easily. So I was trying to elicit two-word phrases with either more, you know, plus a noun or a noun plus please, and she could not get any of that. And then she grabbed a puzzle piece from me and said mine, and I grabbed it back from her and said my bird, and what what do you know? You know, she immediately said my bird. And so then we went through every puzzle piece with me grabbing it and saying, my cat, my dog, my whatever. And, oh, she just did it so beautifully and so well. And, you know, I really learned my lesson that day. And I had Hmm. used my plus other words before, but from that day forward, my little friend named Kelly really taught me.
1: I could (laughs) see where that would be very successful, yes. Hmm.
0: You know, and she couldn't even really yeah, she couldn't even really get the initial M on everyone, but it was clearly, you know, I cat, I dog, I you know, and she meant my when she's doing it, but she didn't always include the first consonant. And again, who cares if there's an articulation error with that? You know, it it doesn't matter. You're going to go for what they're saying rather than how they're saying it at this point. So that's another way that I use that pronoun, but again, that's a little bit down the pipe from what we're talking about today. Um, the other early pronouns that are listed on our milestone sheets for children to achieve by two and a half to three are I, you, and it. And, again, it isn't one that's on every test or every list that you'll look at, but it's one that um, emerges pretty early. You know, want it, want it, or give it, got give Got it. it. I got it. Yeah. <laughs> and it, by all of those, I, you, and it nearly always emerge first in holistic phrases. And it was so perfect that you just said that, Kate, because that's when kids learn it. I got it. I did it. And, again, they're maybe not saying I uh, or even I love you. Um, They may not be using I and you in any circumstance other than in the context of that little holistic phrase. But that's how it emerges, and that's how pronouns emerge even in typically developing children. You'll hear it in those kinds of phrases first. And a kid's never really going to use a pronoun like I alone. It's always, if they're going to use it alone, they'll say, if they mean that, they'll usually say me. So I nearly always emerges expressively in phrases, you know, versus a single word because it doesn't make much sense uh, to do it. Otherwise, and and we don't. Well, know. I, I seem teacher. to get
1: a whole lot of kids say start or their earliest phrase and they use I with I want. I must do that a lot. I think yeah. I do.
0: Yeah, and do you do you always have the other word on there, or they say you know I want cookies, I want bubbles, yes. I want yes. cars, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so you're using it like a carrier phrase, but you've probably done. And do you do that at the beginning of when you do phrases, or do they have other phrases, other patterns pretty well established before you would use the I with what? I seem to have, a, I have a, a couple right now
1: who are very into. I want and I didn't even wasn't really working on phrases, they just got it and they're kind of stuck there. Now I'm trying to yeah. you know, build variety Back it on up. It yeah. I want blank, I want blank, I want blank. Firing it, you know, one after another.
0: Yeah. <laughs> oh, <laughs> <and> it's, <personal>. <laughs> <laughs> it's powerful. Usually kids yeah. will get the variety first. They'll get, you know, Mm-mm. more plus something or bye bye right. plus something. Right. Yeah. But that's this funny that you've got two at the same time. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: I know, and I'm thinking, okay, am I doing it? Well, you know, I was thinking about some of your other things. You're te- teaching the opposites up and down and in and out and how I've um, made that mistake. And I'm thinking, okay, what am I doing to get these kids stuck on I want? <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, you, I wonder what it is. I wonder is it, uh, are there moms well, having to I, do that?
1: Well, I, I use it as a holistic pop out whatever quite a bit when I, I say, cookies? Do you want cookies?
0: I want cookies.
1: I do that a lot. That's what they're
0: like, doing. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: That's it. <laughs> I want baby. Whatever it is, I and I do it like that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I need to get that on video.
1: You know, it's a way to get them excited and keep them up. You know, I mean, it it's is. just a real... Yeah,
0: yeah, and they, and it, yeah. But
1: apparently, if you, for some kids, it sticks. I really haven't had—I t- mean, I've had kids get I want phrases that way, but not like the way oh, these right. kids have kind of out of sequence. Just like, no, you're not supposed to be saying that yet, but they are. But over and over and over. Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, you know that that I want is it is a great carrier phrase, but typically kids have other things too. But you've already said. I mean, just from your description I know why they're saying it because it's funny
1: and because yeah, you're right.
0: you're making it real fun and so uh-huh. they've gotten it. You know, just like I got it. I
1: that. mean don't don't like ninety nine percent of your kids say, I got it
0: <laughs> Absolutely. You know, and those holistic phrases, I got it, I did it, that's where you'll start to see these pronouns emerge rather than really teaching it in um other I mean, there's really no better way to teach it than in these holistic phrases. Sometimes I'll get a kid to, that'll say "I do, I do" or "I do it, I do it," and those are almost always kids with older siblings who they've mm-hmm. had to sort of fight for their ground and fight for their turns. So I always think, well, I know why that emerged, you know, or if a mom says, "Who, you know, who wants a cookie?" or "Who wants a whatever?" and they'll do the "I do" or. You know, whose turn mm-hmm. is that I do, that I, I, do,
1: do. I do. I teach I do. I do. I like I do.
0: I like it, too. I say it a lot. Mm-hmm. And so it is funny, those things that we say over and over, That those are the things that kids learn. Hmm. <laughs> that should not be shocking news to anyone listening to the show. Modeling is so important. So if you're trying to teach pronouns to kids, You have to really model that. Now, let's talk about how a lot of people teach my versus your, and it's with my turn, your turn. And there's nothing inherently wrong with that other than, boy, it makes a lot of kids mad when you are insisting that you have a turn, too, when you're playing. And it is great for kids to learn turn-taking. It has to be back and forth. But if you start it too soon, when a kid is not really developmentally there, a lot of kids will start to melt down with that my turn, your turn. Have you seen that happen?
1: You know, I don't really do a whole – I mean, I'll do it
0: some with
1: a little bit further along kids. I probably have an instinct about not – I'm not going to pick a fight over that. Yeah, I've seen – and like I'll tell you, I tell you I don't do it, work on it earlier than I do. Yeah, I kind yeah. of feel like I have, mm.
0: <laughs> I have seen too many kids get mad. And you know when I've really mm-hmm. seen that the worst it's when a mom has really overemphasized it, But I understand her reasoning for doing that. It's because she has more than one child and she's really teaching that. And it might have <laughs> been for the benefit of the older child with, okay, this baby needs to turn two, or this toddler is mm-hmm. two-year-old. But I've seen a lot of kids, and I do think it's when we started too early, it's when they mm-hmm. really mess it up. And I haven't had too much experience with personally messing that up because I think just for what, what you've said, we are really guarded about what we introduce and when. And these things that are likely to elicit big emotional responses If you think you're going to get a tantrum, you just don't even go there (laughs) because it's not worth it. Yeah. Well, Well,
1: and times, you know, when I do have occasionally worked on it, if I see that it's already a fight, I I let them have another turn, you know. I mean, it's like whatever, you know. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Go ahead. I mean, I'll try and say, my Mm -hmm. turn, not my turn. And if they say, okay, go ahead,
0: you know. Yeah.
1: You get, get two, I get one. I
0: can live with that. <laughs> yeah, or my turn is about three seconds, and your turn can be a minute. Yeah, uh-huh.
1: because that's
0: just the nature. That's just the nature of the game. And so, if you have a kid that's really melting down with my turn and your turn, teach my and your in different ways. And that's again not to say that they don't need to learn that. They absolutely do. But so many of our kids have such short fuses because of their sensory processing needs or because of where they are developmentally or just because of uh, emotional maturity or maybe they're just going to be a short fuse person their whole lives who knows but I just don't use that to the point where I'm making kids mad in therapy and I most often teach my and your in the context of something they already know like body parts or clothing items and this is when I mostly do it it's you know the point when you're feeding a kid you're giving him snack and you're having him request and then he's got to chew and you're thinking oh he's taking forever to chew that cookie what can I do while he's chewing I almost always work on my and your receptively and I'll say where are your shoes where's my hair show me your shirt show me your teeth where are my socks and teach it in that context. And I think putting it with body parts and clothing items, typically things that children, if you're working on pronouns, they certainly better know body parts and <laughs> clothing items before you would work on something as complex as teaching pronouns. And it just makes it easier and it makes it less likely to elicit a full-blown tantrum. So that's how I like to teach my inure. And I think it really purposeful about teaching that. Many many years ago, when I realized on the PLS and then it was the PLS four that no child of mine, when I re-administered the test, like for you know a six months or a yearly IFST, no kid ever knew my versus your, and that's the, that's the uh, the milestone they're asking for. It discriminates early pronouns like my versus door. And so I thought, well, if no kid ever gets it, what does that mean about me? It means that I'm not teaching it correctly. So I started looking for ways to teach it. And that's the most effective way. That's a good idea. I
1: don't do that, and
0: I like it. Kids already know those things by the time you're working on it. And it does. you can still do it with toys. You know, if you both have a baby or if you both have a potato head or if you both have a Thomas, you can still say, you know, here's my Thomas, here's your Thomas. Where are your wheels? You know, where are – you can still do it with a toy, but I just like it with body parts and clothes because it's so easy.
1: Those I, I was doing it with body parts with a little guy this morning. I say I don't do it. I don't consciously – You know what I mean? Because I don't administer the PLS for. I have never really consciously thought. I was doing it because he was getting confused.
0: And I was saying, no, not my eye, your eye. Right. Mm -hmm. And it is that messing up milestones, messing up milestones, messing up pronouns, mixing those up, that's a big, big, big marker for. Receptive language auditory processing problems, and for it to not to just be a delay, for it to be a disorder. So, kids who continue to at three, at four, really have mm-hmm. difficulty with pronouns, it's a huge red flag that lets you know that there's, this is a language disorder, it's not just delay. And as children get older, you know, these were the pronouns that we're talking about by two and a half, but by three, they're learning gender pronouns, you know him, her, he, and she, and so when I'll hear a four year old mix that up, mm-hmm. you know that's he's got a disorder I mean that's a language disorder that's not just a little delay in learning language, so pronouns are a a big big um indicator that language is not moving along like you would want it to, but again, we're talking about children who are older. Um, we're not just talking about here in these early phases of uh, teaching pronouns. And let me mention this about the gender pronouns him, her, he, and she. Children can't learn those until they master girl versus boy. And so you've got to really, we talk about everything on this show as being sequential and everything is a hierarchy. And I always say if we, if we teach it in the right order, it's a lot easier. And if you don't work on something that's too, you know, that's at a higher level than a, than a child where he is, then you'll have much more progress because it's going to be easy for easier for him or her and you're not skipping steps. And so that's a step a lot of people skip when they start to teach those gender pronouns so they don't teach boy versus girl. First. Now
1: that I do teach. And it can there be you hard. Go. It can be hard. To get kids it, it, it to finally get that. I mean, it seems, you know, some, it's one of those things. Some kids get it automatically, but then if they don't, woo wee it's hard to teach it. You can, See, but and it takes a lot of focus.
0: And that's another marker. I mean, that just tells you, okay, if he's really having this much trouble distinguishing gender, you know, there's a lot going on that's probably missing uh, all around with, receptive language and comprehension, and probably cognition, too, if mm-hmm. a kid is three and has it really sorted out for himself, boys versus girls. Now, when you're teaching boys versus girls, well, this is really going to put you on the spot. I, I teach boys and girls. I want you to think about how you teach it, and if you don't want to talk about it, we won't. But I teach it just in the context of what a kid likes or like his family, you know, with you know, sissy is a girl, bubby is a boy, mommy is a girl, daddy is a boy. And so many people will be so cute. They'll say, daddy is daddy, meaning, you know, he can't be a boy, he's daddy. <laughs> they don't have a word for man. But I like to teach it in that way. The other way that I've taught it, and I haven't had to do it in a long time because I haven't had a kid working on this, is really using very traditional um Pictures, and, again, this is after we've done it with their toys and after we've done it in their real-life situations, but looking at children's uh, clothing catalogs, because they usually Mm -hmm. always have girls with long hair and bows and pretty accessories, you know, and dresses, and little boys and things that look like little boy clothes. And you've got to be just really traditional when you're teaching girl and boy to a child who does not get it. You can't use any of those. Like sometimes those little people toys, don't you look at them and think, is this a boy or a girl? I don't even know. Mhm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A lot yeah. of toys are like that. And I think mm-hmm. it's on purpose. I do think it's intentional. But if you have a child who's really struggling, you can't really, and you've got to really be pretty traditional about that. And I think using something they like, if they like Dora and Diego. Dora is a girl and Diego is a boy. You know, teaching it, teaching it that way. Do you have better ideas for
1: that? Uh no. I pre. I, I've read your suggestion to use a catalog. I have to say, I've never actually done that. Although I think it's a good idea. Um, I work on it a lot with dolls. With, ki- you know, yeah. little all my loving family people. There's mm-hmm. a baby girl. There's a baby boy. There's a toddler boy. There's a toddler girl. There's a mommy. There's a daddy. There's a nana, and there's a yeah. papa. Yeah. So, we're there girls or boys. We've talked about it. Yeah. And I do tend to, although even with those sometimes they're not that obvious. But I like it when they have the long hair and the girls need the bows and the dresses yeah. and Because it does need to be as extreme as possible. So
0: It does. But so
1: there's not any it, mixing
0: yeah. it up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um the other part about teaching boy and girl or those are hard words to say. Boy has that diphthong for the vowel, the oi. And then girl is an R and an L. No harder combination for a language disorder. Yeah, that G is not easy
1: either. Yeah. So there you go.
0: So <laughs> Pretty much every sound in there is hard. <laughs> ba and duh. You know, the duh is the girl, and the ba is boy. Mm-hmm. And so, again, you have to really consider those things. Where is this kid, you know, with speech? What, How hard is it going to be for him? You know him or her to say, boy versus girl.
1: And However, then, I do like the signs for boy and girl. I, do I you use, the use signs. those? I use them. I do. I don't really mm-hmm. use them. I don't really use
0: them.
1: I do. I I don't. I must do boy and girl a fair amount, but I do. The boy is like they're touching their caps. You know the uh-huh. little bill of the little cap, which I think is cute. Right. Um. And girl is you take your thumb and I, at least that's how I do it, slide it down my face. That girl Yeah, and
0: that yeah, and it's supposed to be you know what the origin of that sign is, right? It's like you're tying no. a bonnet. It's like the little girl oh. that used to wear bonnets back at little house on the prairie. Oh, it's no, like know. you're tying yeah, you're tying the bonnet. That's where my two semesters of sign language in grad school have come in handy. I can remember the origin of lots of signs. And that's how I remember <laughs> the sign. Because I remember how they say they originated, Uh and that makes sense Uh to me. So that's why. But I, I think boy and girl, it's important. But again, usually that comes in developmentally. On the test, we have it at my test says thirty three to thirty six months. I'm gonna look that up while I'm. It's
1: pretty old. I think that's mine too.
0: Yeah. So it's close to three, and so again for a lot of children on our birth to three caseloads, we won't get there because developmentally they're still less than 30 months. And so I'm not going to spend an exorbitant amount of time teaching something that they're not developmentally ready for. Now, if their brothers and sisters are saying those words and their moms and they want to work on that, I'll give moms some hints or some ideas like we talk about here on the show for her to sort of work on that, but I don't really work on it with a kid until I think that they're ready. I mean, we'll talk about it in the context of, you know, as we're playing, but to Mm -hmm. really work on it down and dirty, I don't work on Mm -hmm. it until I think they're really ready to master it because you're just, I think there are too many other things to work on that are really more important. But for teaching pronouns, you have to get the boy-girl piece first, and then when they get that, that's when you transition to he is a boy, she is a girl. Look at her. She's a girl. Look at her bow. Look at his cap or whatever you're going to do. And you just really do a lot of that contrasting. Now, the past several weeks we've talked about this. If you have a child who's really struggled receptively and he's even learned words like up and down and in and out, those words have been hard for him, guess what? Teaching gender pronouns is going to be hard. (laughs) And so you may not get to teach him versus her, his versus hers, because you might have to teach it one at a time for it to mean something. But, again, if a kid is really having that much difficulty when they're as young as they are on our caseloads, I would not be working on that at all. That would be a goal that I really, really saved. And a a person that came to Atlanta to uh, the workshop, she was a, a great lady, and she said to me, she's a speech assistant, which means that she has her bachelor's degree in speech pathology, but not her master's degree yet. And she said, the biggest thing that I found wrong with the women that I work with is that their goals are all too hard. They're working way above where a child should be. So I'll get a kid, and his goals are written for pronouns and things when really they should just be working on nouns and verbs and I thought that was such a great observation for her to make on her own and it's a shame that she's not really writing the treatment plans for these children because she obviously has a better idea of what they can really do versus the person that wrote the goal and in in our state we don't really have a lot of uh, speech pathology assistants working but in some states they use them a lot like the speech pathologist might supervise Three or four assistants, and she doesn't really see the kids. She just does the assessment, and then she'll do a visit every once in a while to rewrite the know. goals of the supervisor. We person. do have them
1: here, though, don't we?
0: Yeah, I'm but I'm pretty sure think we right do have these. them.
1: They're not there, yeah. I remember when I was in nursing school, there was a gal at the school I did a little rotation in. She was real cute, she was an assistant, but she, she, I was there when she got the call that said she was in grad school. She's Aww. very happy. I remember thinking she's yeah.
0: gonna make a cute speech language pathologist.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, and a lot of states really use them. In Kentucky they're severely underutilized and it would be a good solution for uh, school districts where they don't have enough but see the problem is With this profession, and I truly believe this too, there's so much to learn and so much to know that you really do have to have a master's degree so that you can just cram all that education in. And so Mm -hmm. it's – but a lot of of therapy fields, you don't have to have your master's. PT, I think they're moving more toward a master's degree as the starting, as the entry level. No, 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 PhD. Well, there you go. They're, they've go. moved
1: past the masters. <laughs> They're moving towards the. I think they are at the PhD. I think it's, it's a five-year really? PhD. Yeah.
0: Mhm. Well, yep. and a lot of our uh, a lot of our PT friends here in Louisville are moving and have moved in that direction too. But there are a lot of just bachelor-level OTs, and so um, I think other are there. Mhm. They don't have masters. I don't think so, Kate. Do you know a lot of the people that we have that have masters in our area because they started out in, with a different bachelor's degree? Oh. And so then they went to Spalding and got their and PhD. got a master's. Okay. And okay, that's, that's a master's be... program at Spalding. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I Feels could like I got a master's in that. Education for the same reason. Uh-huh. Right, and so I'm thinking it's the same. Wait, I could be wrong about that. I'm sure somebody will correct me if I am. But <laughs> the, uh, but that's really, again, and I feel, okay. I, but any case, in some states, speech assistants do most of the day-to-day therapy, and then the speech language pathologist goes in and updates the plan. And so it, And so a lot of assistants come to the conferences and they'll say, oh, my goodness, I'm so glad I came to this because I haven't really had this kind of, Teaching, you know, about this is how this is the sequence, and this is what really should go on in therapy because they haven't had the whole grad school piece yet. Right. So.
1: I well, and it, apparently think, even a lot of those who've been to grad school didn't quite get it.
0: <laughs> well, and a lot of times that's not even their fault because this, this school, their educational
1: program it's wasn't very all good. Theory based,
0: yeah. and it's the program's fault or it's the supervisor's mm-hmm. fault with not making sure they really knew how to do therapy when they left school. And I think all of us just learn and try by fire too. I mean, you get, you decide what population you're going to work in. You decide, hey, I'm going to be good at this. This is not just a job for me. This is what I love. This is my calling. And I am going to do everything I can to be great at it. And there are some people who don't really get that. Regardless of whether they're a speech pathologist or a hairdresser or a car mechanic or a teacher or whatever, they just they're not um excited about what they do, and I just feel so thankful every day of my life that I don't have a job like that that this is something that I love and think about all the time, and we spend a lot of hours talking about it. <laughs> Um, so again, I think it is I think that though is a personality thing too. And defining what you're great at and kind of, you know, I believe naturally called to do. So
1: Well my father used to who was a doctor used to like to say, I believe you were vaccinated with phonograph needle. So maybe that's why that I had some kind of vision in my youth, I would have definitely known I was supposed to be a speech therapist. I just never really got the message in time. So, but born born to do it. Yeah. That's okay. I get to do it all day, every day, pretty much. So it's okay. There
0: you go. There you go. Yeah. But I do think that makes a difference. And a lot of times when parents will write and they'll say, you know, I want to say to them when they're saying, how can I find a good therapist? It's, oh, you've got to find somebody who's just crazy about this and would darn near do it for free. And I don't really mean that, but you know what I mean. They're so crazy in love with what they do. Really passionate. And it's so
1: rewarding when you're as you get better or as you're good. If you're good it's it's so reinforcing. So
0: (laughs) absolutely. All right. Well we only have about a minute left to wrap up pronouns. We did not get to descriptive words. Next week we're going to do descriptive words in about ten minutes at the beginning of the show because Teaching descriptive words is just like teaching pronouns and location words or prepositions and action words or verbs. You need your list, and then you need to create a lot of real situations so that toddlers that you're working with can learn by doing. And so we'll talk about what list that is at the beginning of the show next week, and then we're going to move right into answering questions like we've already talked about. Um, But I did want to... um, Again, remind anyone listening, if you need more specific ideas about teaching pronouns, Teach Me to Talk, the therapy manual is just full of great ideas um, for that. And, again, when you're the early ones, uh, me, my, and mine, I, you, and it. I forgot to say with you that I almost always teach that with acting like it's something that I don't want to do. With the kid, I'll say, you do it and, you know, act (laughs) really silly, like cleaning up. And then, you know, they'll usually they'll end up, hopefully, eventually, you know, we get into that whole you, 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 and that's a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. I've got some therapy clips of kids thinking that's hysterical to tell me that I'm going to – and it's usually about cleaning up or, you know, going to get something or, you know, something like that. And I always do it again in a funny way so that it's a joke and they know that I'm kidding. They learn what that word means in context. All right. Any final words about teaching pronouns, Kate?
1: Nope,
0: not really. Well, I think we covered our bases on that.
1: My, I'm going to be thinking about my this and my that. I got to take that away from this. I don't really use that enough.
0: Oh my gosh! Wait till you do. I want you to remember to tell us how great it works. The next I'm looking forward to it
1: because your little tidbits always work, and that's just one. I don't think if you have said it, it got by me that time, and this time I heard it. So.
0: It's going to be my everything. (laughs) It's a great way to teach it. All right. Okay. Thanks so much. Thanks. Talk to you soon. Bye. Bye.